May the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here before you be acceptable and good in your sight. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace from God, our creator, and greetings from Jacksonville Campus Ministry and UNF. I want to thank you and Mother Lisa for allowing me to be here this morning. It is really good to be in a new congregation, in a new church. I have never been here to St. Andrews before, and it is one of my great joys and privileges in campus ministry that I get to go and visit congregations all over Jacksonville and mostly tell some of my favorite stories about what I believe is the most wonderful ministry in the entire planet. And I I do have a student here, and she might start rolling her eyes uh, because she probably knows exactly where I'm going now, because on mornings like this one, I also get to do something really special, and I get to tell people about this guy named Jesus, and that's also one of my favorite things to do. And the story that we hear this morning is similar to many of the stories that we have heard in this season. It's a parable, and Jesus is presented with this question, and he begins teaching And parables are really deep exaggerations and almost ridiculous stories that are meant to drive home a point. And on this day, Peter speaks up and he says, Lord, what are the limits on forgiveness? Like, when is enough enough? How many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? And we don't really know what prompts Peter to ask this question, but perhaps he has a feeling in his gut that one day he will need this lesson about forgiveness because he himself will need to be forgiven. And he better ask about all this forgiveness stuff right now. And I think the question itself is a little bit calculated. After all of his interactions with Jesus, Peter knows that he is going to respond with an answer that is well outside of Peter's expectations and comfort zones. That's kind of Jesus's thing. So I think Peter tries to jump ahead of it. He thinks he knows how generous Jesus is going to be about forgiveness. And so he says, what about seven times, Jesus? Is seven times more than reasonable to forgive someone? After all, seven symbolizes completion, wholeness. It seems more than generous. I certainly would wonder about forgiving someone who sins against me seven times. And Jesus responds, No, Peter, 
Not seven times, but 77 times. You see, seven, as Peter suggests, is calculable. It's a measurable number. You can even count it on your fingers. In a sense, it's achievable. You can keep track of the seven times you have forgiven a person. But what Jesus puts forth represents an incalculable number, an impossible, kind of ridiculous number, an indefinite number of times that forgiveness ought to be given. And so to further his teaching, Jesus tells the story of a king and some slaves. Now this story is a little bit ridiculous. And Jesus knows that this story is a little bit ridiculous. And we might not hear the ridiculousness of the story, but Jesus' hearers would have understood it. In the parable, we meet a slave who owes the king a huge debt, a debt that he would never be able to repay. To put it in today's terms, he owes the king 3,000 lifetimes worth of wages. 3,000 lifetimes worth of wages. Now, the slave begs for his life and tells the king that he will pay back everything he owes, which he and the king both know is absolutely impossible. So the king frees him and forgives his debt. All of it. All 3,000 lifetimes worth of debt. That's ridiculous. How could a king even afford to go around forgiving debt like that? Can you imagine how much wealth or generosity he must have had to feel secure enough to forgive that much money? And yet he does. There's an intense generosity here, an unwarranted generosity that is almost unfathomable. I experienced a little bit of this generosity, this forgiveness this week. The Lutheran church where my husband is a pastor has a grant for student debt relief. And we applied last year and gratefully received a couple thousand dollars from this grant. And since then, we've been paying down quite a bit of our substantial student debt, hoping to be debt-free by the time our two-year-old and five-year-old make it to middle school. We received an email this past week asking us to apply for the grant a second time. So that we could see, so that they could see our progress and give out even more money to our family. And we were flabbergasted. Not only had they been incredibly generous the first time, they were going to do it again. It felt almost too generous. 
as if it were a trick or as if there might be some kind of catch to it. But Jesus' parable is clear. The slave leaves free. A forgiven man. But he doesn't leave transformed. The newly freed man goes out and encounters a slave who owes him a debt, a much smaller debt, and it's an achievable debt. It's about 100 days of work. And seizing him by the throat, he orders him to pay, and the slave pleads for patience and forgiveness and mercy in the same way that this freed man had just done. And he refuses. He throws him into prison until he can pay the debt, which he will never be able to do because he is in prison and unable to work. The recently freed man had been shown incredible mercy, mercy that he neither deserved nor understood, yet he didn't extend that mercy to others. This story is about forgiveness, but in Jesus' parable, it is so much more about how we live in response to generosity. It is how we are changed by the forgiveness of the King. How we are changed by mercy that we don't deserve or understand. One of the things that we try to do in campus ministry is provide a nest for our students to nurture, equip, sustain, and transform them. I think each of those things is important individually, but what we see as our students leave campus ministry is that the transform part is what really sticks with them. It's the times that people have provided food on Tuesday nights out of the goodness of their hearts. Or when our students have anxiously reached out and said they can't pay rent this month, but they don't really know what to do about it, and they're flabbergasted when we're able to write them a check. One of our student residents at Redeemer House met with me before he moved in, and he asked if he would be required to attend worship on Sunday mornings since he would be living in a church building. I said no. Would he be required to volunteer at the church? No. Would he have to do anything at the church at all? I said, well, I hope you'll live here. He couldn't understand why. Why would we do that? And I said, well, because we think that you deserve a safe, affordable place to live because you're a child of God. 
We've been afforded a lot of generosity and mercy over the last 50 years of ministry, and I haven't seen that generosity slow down since I have been the chaplain at UNF these last five years. And it has transformed us into an organization that allows us to then transform the lives of young people. So while this story is about forgiveness, I think Peter's question was maybe, maybe about forgiveness on the surface. But he was really asking about how much of himself he would have to change when it really got down to it. How different is my life really going to have to be different in response to encountering God incarnate in Christ? How generous am I going to have to be in response to the generosity of my God? How much am I going to have to be transformed? And Jesus says, fully, ridiculously, unimaginably, you're going to have to be transformed in ways that you cannot even imagine yet. And you're going to be, because I have set you free. Amen.